Hello, I'm Caroline Carey. I'm a soul worker and soul doula. I have a deep understanding of the soul's journey from cradle to grave, and I've traveled between the veils of the spirit realms. I've studied the path it evokes, and I've come to understand why the majority of today's problems are rooted in the loss of spirituality. So my work, which is Middle Earth Medicine Ways, empowers people to find what is lost and to reclaim their own circle of strength by embodying their soul. And I do this by holding a space for healing and soul retrieval with shamanic skills, trance and conscious dance. I love creative writing and poetry. Please join me in listening to these wonderful teachers and soul workers, the facilitators and the guides of spiritual and shamanic work. They all have something very important to share and are a great gift to our communities. I've learned a lot from listening to them. I invite you to also. Hi everyone. In this podcast, I'm in conversation with Kathleen Matthews. She's uh, an author. She's written many, many books. And her study is largely around the ancestors and the shamanic view on that. I was particularly interested to hear about how she was partially sighted from a very early age and she became an actress. But because of being partially sighted, she used song to uh, find her way in the world. And that amazes me. She struggled with debilitating illnesses, but eventually she was visited by shapers and spirit guides and danced herself to health. So she talks in depth about the ancestors, the dying, the shamanic, and the writings of, of her so many books. And together with her, her husband, John, she has a, a, a huge repertoire of understanding, of in-depth discoveries around some of our ancestral heritage. So join me in listening to Kathleen and please share, like, and whatever you can do to help this library to grow. wonderful to have you here on my podcast. Uh, you are quite um, quite the writer, the uh, ceremonialist, the uh, so much about you that I don't know, but I've looked at your website and the words that stand out for me are things like the grail and Arthurian mysteries and sh shamanism. Uh, so much there of interest to me and I'm sure to many of our listeners. And I'd love you to share more about what you do and, and why you do what you do. Why is it important to you? Um, sure. Well, I, I don't know. I think it's a long story, isn't it? It's like, when, how do we get started and, um, and where does it, um, you know, where does it all come from? I suppose the salient fact in, um, in my life is that I was born very short-sighted. Um, and so it meant I couldn't see or identify or recognise things and people very well and so in order to navigate my way around the world as a child I used to sing into spaces 
in the same way that the blind man knocks the stick on the door frame to check the parameters of the room. And of course, that's very helpful because it does show you the dog on the floor and the grand piano and all these kinds of things. But um, it also shows you what's not there. Wow. Yes, so that's kind of where, that's where all this started. So I come into life really as a singer primarily, um, and uh, you know, as a child, because of this inability to see very well. Uh, I mean, I've had eye surgery since, but basically, if you were more than two feet away from me, I wouldn't be able to identify you unless you spoke to me, because mm -hmm. I, I just wouldn't be able to see see you and catching a bus was a nightmare because I'd stopped lorries and things like this. So it was just, it was just hopeless. Um, I bet the drivers were delighted. <laughs> well, I don't know, but it, it was just, you know, I mean, I never saw leaves on trees or the sparkling of stars or oh. no, they don't, but I mean, but they appear to from my perspective oh. and things like that. So I sort of missed out on a whole bunch of stuff. And so a lot of my world was inner. Uh, and so my 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 inwardness was part of my game as a child. I would lie on the floor with a big blanket tucked all around me, and I would lie on the floor for up to three or four hours at a time. And my mother would be driven insensible, you know, as I was an infant. What are you doing in there? Are you can you still breathe, dear? And things like this. And um, of course, what I was doing is that I was in the dark with my spirits, who I called the shapers, um, and they were basically the ones that came to me in my sort of solitude and showed me things in shapes and sounds and resonance so that's where it all began um oh, fascinating and so this was what led you to shamanism clearly but actually yes i mean it was a long journey because i you know i mean obviously as a child you go through a range of things that you want to do and you know I thought I might be a paleontologist at one point when I was about 10, but actually it settled down after puberty to, um, I just want to act because I knew I was a performer. So, um, so all, of my, all of my teenage years were spent sort of towards that end. And my parents were really, you know, they were keen to me to do local amateur dramatics, but they didn't, you know, they just thought our family doesn't do things, you know, they only do what the last generation does. And, that's it. So there was no desire or aptitude for, for them to sort of give me a push and any help. So I went away and had auditions at drama schools and got into one as a fait accompli. So I just didn't tell them I was having <laughs> the auditions. Um, and then I was I was there, uh, I was at drama schools at Weber Douglas um, in London um, for um, about sort of two, two and a quarter years, and I began to get very ill. Hmm. And, <clears throat> and my illness, I've got a, we've got a whole sort of raft of genetic diseases in our family, and they're all in the sort of liver, liver bowel department. So mine was the bowel in this instance. And, um, and I just became very ill. <clears throat> my grandmother had died of colitis, and I was sort of going in the same direction. I was about... I suppose I was about the weight of an eight-year-old child, um, which was not very good. Um, so I was incredible. Well, you could see every bone in my body. And, um, and I was really only able to work from time to time. And I'd had to give up the theatre because, of course, I was not reliable. When, when your bowels give way, you know, you need to be near a toilet 14 times a day. And that's just <laughs> the bottom end of that. Um, and so... And I was lying in bed, sort of 
being really ill and the shapers came to me and said do you want to carry on doing this or do you want to do something else and it was like well what else would i do i mean i couldn't conceive of doing anything else and they said um <clears throat> you know just tell us what you want to do do you want to carry on doing this you know slowly dying or do you want to do what we'll show you so i said well i'll do what you show me and i began to get better from that point so i began to put on weight um within six months i mean i i wasn't entirely healthy looking but at least i was kind of getting getting back to normal and then one day they said to me okay so we're going to do some teaching today so i said well, what do you want me to do and they said well stand in the middle of the floor so i did and they said dance okay mm -hmm. no problem so i began to dance and the clock was saying something like five past two um and i danced and the next thing i remember is the clock said something like quarter past five and i was on the floor in a pool of water and i lived in a block of flats so i just automatically went to the rational mind of oh my god my neighbors had a bath and the water's come through the ceiling but actually it was my own water i was lying in i just completely sweated out like a horse um and and i had no idea what had happened it took a little while to repeat that experience to understand what what it was that was happening and it was like my mistress spirit just came into me and and that was it because of course really the bottom line of this story is that um i was so very nearly right in my vocation but just not in that direction but this direction <laughs> meaning wow. i and I, re, I looking back on it now i can see that you know in my acting i was actually quite dangerous because i wasn't acting i was embodying yes i understand yeah, so i was embodying whatever and of course you know we did aeschylus oristea and no wonder no one would talk to me or go near me because I was Clytemnestra. Clytemnestra was in the building, you know. Um, <clears throat> I could see that, you know, my Agamemnon was quite happy to die off stage in his bath, you know, not to have any more to do with me on stage. <laughs> so it was like, okay, I kind of, it took me a long time to get it. Yeah. Yes. Because I, I didn't fully understand. And I had nobody to help me except for my own performance understanding. Yes. And, and, two teachers of mine um uh dolores ashkoff nowicki because i'd been doing um the servants of the light course kabbalistic meditation um sort of sort of ritual magic going on to that you know western mysteries end of things um who had herself been a singer and an actor in her youth and so she had some understanding um and olivia robertson of the fellowship of isis in ireland who knew absolutely nothing about it, but she had all the classical knowledge. So she understood it from the classical perspective. So she understood sibyls and, you know, yes. all kinds of things. So I, I still didn't have nuts and bolts help with that. So, mm. um, so I, that's kind of really where it all comes down from, from that point. And so I was no longer acting. Uh, and because of my illness, I'd already started to write because I couldn't do very much work. Right, yeah. Um, <clears throat> and I worked in a library for about um, sort of uh, 12 years after that. Um, um, and then became full time, you know, um, self employed as, as a writer. And mm -hmm. my health How was. Were you, 
a lot how better. How old were you at this stage? How old were you? So, um, so my illness sort of um, was with me for eight years. So from about the age of 21 to 28, mm-hmm. I was really quite seriously ill. Mm-hmm. Um, and and the naf- national health treatment was just killing me, basically. Yeah. Mm. I've been homeopathic ever since. Okay. Which yeah. Is great. yeah. And I'm very sensitive to, to plants and to... Yes. Uh, things like that so um so from you know so so from about the age of 28 to 31 ish i was really getting back health and strength and yes coming into myself and then it was okay well what now i had to hold down a job to sort of you know just keep the you know the rent at bay and um I've, i've always been interested in history and particularly in um, the history of these islands. Um, yes. the, other, the other thing that got me into this area was that um, <clears throat> my mother was given away just after her birth to an aunt and uncle, and mm-hmm. she never understood why this was the case. And so she had grown up without her mother and father and brothers and sisters. And so for me, this was an utter mystery because I saw my dad's family every week, you know, and it was like, well, where is my other family, my Irish family? Where, why? Why are they not here, you know? So I think a lot of my interest in, in Celtic studies sort of began at that time. Right. And, um, and I really wanted to get my mother's family for her. That, that was okay. my childhood aim, and I did succeed in that. We managed to get a family. Um, but we did not understand the whole story until, unfortunately, after she died, was the story that she'd have been given away. Um, because her mother was too ill to look after her. Oh, um, she'd been temporarily given to an aunt and uncle to just look after who had no children. And then when she was better, she said, well, can I have my daughter back? And they refused to give it. So it went to court. And the judge, looking at the two families' circumstances, said, well, they don't have any children, so obviously she should stay with them because you've got too many. Oh, ouch. I know. So that was a real, it's kind of a real wound in the yes. in the family field, you know. Um so I think that that's what began. So mm. I've been doing a lot of work with um, Celtic studies. I've always been at the Arthurian Celtic end of things because John has the medieval end of, of the stuff. And I, I thought, there's something before this, dear. You know, let's go back a bit further. <laughs> and yeah. so, of course, then, of course, I was going into material and thinking, hang on, we do have a tradition that is, it is our own spiritual native tradition that, that we yes. have here. So, um, so I began to do the research, and not just the the research, learning the languages, uh, translating things, checking okay. you know things, but also taking that into um, into practical work to see, okay, well, how did this work? If this was a thing, how did it work? Yes. Uh, what came of it? You know, what were the nuts and bolts of this, and so on. And so, and a lot of that was sort of asking the ancestors, right. And, and so there's because there's very been very little knowledge, hasn't there, of, of our our ancient history yeah. here, our lineage. I mean, there's been no there's been very little understanding of you know um, the history of the Welsh, Irish, and Scots generally within right. England. Has there? I mean, you yeah. get the official line, which is kings and queens, politics, corn laws, and there we are. Here we are. Okay. Okay. Uh, so so yeah. at this stage, you've got your sort of shamanic world. And your spirit guides, and they—that's they, a lot of healing has clearly come for you through that. You've yeah, I mean, really. You know, I mean, I had no idea 
how this would be. Um, and um, you know, I was seeing I was seeing people um, because, of course, you know, we've all got a secret sign over our head that says what we're good for, and everyone can read it. It's like my house has a secret sign saying "Cat Hotel." I like that. Uh, you know, no one else can read it, but any cat who's in trouble needs to be fed medical attention or can I please be buried here? You know, they obviously know where to come because we, we will look after them. But similarly, we each have that thing that's over our head. And so, of course, the work that we do in whatever brand of, of, of shamanic work that we do, and I see general practice, but the two main things that I see um, are things of ancestral causation and of vocational difficulty those are the two things i'll always get always you know because people know takes one to know one as they say right, um, right. Whereas a friend of mine you know who's also practicing has had been in danger of death many times and has had many serious operations and so of course people come to her when they're in danger of death and have had lots of serious operations so okay. it makes sense you know yeah. that that people understand that yes, they can get general help, but there's a particular expertise that they will draw upon, which is yeah. in each of us. Yeah. And doesn't that often come from our own experiences in life? You know, somehow it does because these are our teachers, and and yes. uh, and you know, and the awfulitude of of life, which you know, which it can sometimes be, mm. uh, and the places where we we dig ourselves into holes are not only our holes; they're they're also those of our ancestors. Yes. We fall into the same pit over and over <laughs> you know, yeah. um, uh, of the things that um, ancestrally have not been sorted out. Right. And so they cast a long shadow and the traction of those tendencies, behaviours, um, even circumstances, you know, can. And we understand more about epigenetics now, of course, that um, we understand that we don't just get our blue eyes and our, you know, our brown hair from our ancestors that we also have certain aptitudes in us which come down um i've seen several people who didn't know anything about their ancestry um on paper but they've been following exactly the same line as them vocationally which is very interesting yes um, interesting. You know, um i think we see lots of very interesting examples of that all over the place but um so but it's those other things so i mean you know you know a guy of like 40, you know, rocks up and, and, and says, oh, I've got these awful problems. I've just walked out on my family. I have no idea what I've just done and why I've done it. And, you know, it's all mysterious to me. And, you know, you talk to him and he talks about everything and he doesn't talk about his dad. And then you say, OK, tell me about your father. And he said, well, he was kind of interesting man, a bit angry, a bit. Uh, and then and then, you know, when he was 42, you know, he just walked out on us. And he said, uh, and I said, what age was he? And he said he was 42. And he looked at me and he said, I'm 42. Wow. Yeah. 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 Those kind of things which are in living memory, um, him as a child suddenly following a pattern that his father, yes. genetically something turned on. Yes. Same circumstance, same row with the wife same irritation with the children whatever it was we don't know but um but there are those things that are more mysterious that go back much much further uh and which have um a very long arm and yeah i think you know those are the things that um i see most okay so so you're you're journeying in with the, our heritage with the celtic understanding I, I work for anyone 
I'll work for anyone, absolutely anyone of any tradition, and I'll always include their tradition in what yes. I do. Cool. That's, That's really cool. important. So if someone's got a strong belief, we'll have the holy water and the rosary, we'll have Jewish prayers, we'll do whatever. Right. Um, <clears throat> you know, we'll, we'll always, you know, we'll do Salah if necessary. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, I think those things are really important because if the wheel is already rolling for someone, my job is not to shove it into my tradition. Sure. No, absolutely. I, I get that. That's really important. Yeah. So what I'm working from is really, is a deep, you know, many level tradition. Yeah. Uh, which doesn't stop historically, it's all still here. The ancestors are still with us, you know, they haven't yes. gone away. Um, and wherever parts of our ancestry are helpful because we don't just have wounded ancestors, we have strong ancestors and ones who went through very difficult times and, you know, who still smacked the children when they were naughty and, and hung the washing out on the line and got on with it, even though the world was crumbling around them yes. and they did not, bend and bow right they carried on and those are the ancestors that we also need you know the ones that help us to be persistent in our life um as well as those the deep ancestors who are in another state of life i mean the ancestors who are ancestors of all of us i think those are the ones that we really you know they're always behind us um and whatever befalls us they're always they always look kindly on us they always love us they always root for us so i think those things are really important for people to find now because we really we really lack a sense of living ancestry and and where does shamanism in societies? some of that is to do with you know you can trace back to the reformation we stopped we stopped praying for the dead at the reformation yes which was a thing mm. It's really very sad. So we, um, we broke up very slightly there for a moment. Um, yeah, sorry, I'll just, I'll just repeat that. I said, you yes, know, this, this, this sense of fracture uh, that we have from the ancestors that, you know, that they're all dead and gone, as a dear publisher of mine once said, why should I publish a book on the ancestors? I mean, they're all dead and gone. And here in America, we're from all over. What, what good would that be to us? <laughs> I'm sorry, <laughs> just kind of. That just bewilders me when people respond like that. But, but, but the fracture sort of goes back. I think probably as far as the Reformation, where you know we were no longer allowed to pray for the dead in Protestant Europe. Mm. And you know, if somebody in medieval times died uh, in a family, all the neighbours would come and look out for you and be with you, and in the same way that they still do in Ireland. Mm. And um, and they would keep the month's mind, meaning they would go and do prayers with and for the person who had died for all that time. But the prayer book of visits Edward VI doesn't even talk to the deceased as a person. It talks about our brother or sister here departed, rather than, and we're here to pray for Cecilia, who has recently died, and who has gone to God or whatever. You know, so you can see people beginning to turn away, and it's like, so it's like people going into hospital. People die somewhere else. Right. Yeah. So I think there are lots of factors in this where the, the, the neighbourliness of the ancestors is kind of not with us in the same way that it would be for our ancestors. And I think a lot of the ills of our society are to do with that sense of abandonment and lack of support and witness. 
Uh, and so as a writer, what what is your main focus on writing? What are you writing about? Obviously, ancestral stuff. And... Well, no, I mean, a, the, the shamanic work that I do, almost none of it is written down. It's nearly all oral transmission. Um, so people who work with me, they get that. Um, <clears throat> no one's interested in doing these books. Um, on And also there is a, you know, the nuts and bolts of shamanism is also not something I believe that ought to be in a book in terms of how to, because it's not ethical. Yeah. Tell me more about so, that. Well, I mean, you know, it's like learning any any discipline. There are some things you can read in books and learn about in a sort of general way. But when it comes to actually doing something, this isn't car mechanics, is it? No. You know, there's no. a part of it that is. Uh, I mean, I will just say that there is a part of this that is um, very pragmatic and, and has to be very uh, exact and technical. But at the same time, um, you don't want all and sundry doing this. Right, right. Um, what it, you know, I think in every society, it's like 10% of all the people do things that require some kind of spiritual transaction. So that they could be priests or mediators or whatever, you know, not just people who do shamanic work or magical work. But, um, and so it's always going to be quite a small uh market but my sense of this is um is you know where 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 does shamanism fit in society and it's like there are societies where it fits really well it just sits really comfortably along with everything else but in our society shamans sit in the same boxes undertakers prostitutes rubbish collectors tattoo artists and those because they're not people uh, we're not people that folk come to unless they really need us. Okay. And I think the reason that we're not in the marketplace is a very simple one, is that when people are driven to the edges of life, that's where we inhabit. They find us before they go over the edge. <laughs> yes. Um, and I, I, I think that that is our situation in society. And I, with all my students, I make that very clear. It's like, do not imagine you're going to be the celebrity shaman, although Having said that, two of my very ex-students, who I would completely disown, went off and did exactly that and will only do shamanism for 400 quid a pop for celebrities. So, I mean, yes, they did come to things that I did, but no, they are not my students. Um, but seriously, um, there are, you know, there, there's a level of this work which is um, such that, you know, we can't be in the centre. We're always going to be in that slightly, people don't invite shamans to parties. They don't invite prostitutes to parties, except to you know, entertain the guests. Um, they don't invite undertakers to parties, similarly. So we're at that edge. And I think, you know, there's a the book by um, uh, David Levy, um, which is the, set, the Scent of the Senses. It's a very interesting story he tells about going out to Indonesia because he was a sleight of hand magician and he wanted to interview the shamans and he got in with them because of his ability as a, as a sorcerer to do little bits of, you know, um, hand magic. And he stayed in the villages and he went out, the shamans lived quite a long way away in, in the forest and 
he would come back um, to the village at night and people would say, oh, are you all right? And you've been with the shamans all day, you know, because you know, they eat children, you know, and they do all sorts of awful, and he had terrible stories, you know. And he was absolutely horrified. And he, he kind of went, went back to the woods the next day and said, do you know what those people in the villages are saying about you? And they said, uh-huh. And they said, you're not worried about that? And he said, no. And he said, well, why? And he said, you know, you kind of got, he got the feeling that maybe they had created these stories in. Um, and they said, well, I mean, if they didn't have some kind of, you know, boundary of respect between us, um, they would be coming here for every cut finger, you know. Right. <laughs> so I think, you know, in a traditional society, that's a sort of a little example yeah. of that. In our society, again, we're not in the central place. Yeah. We're yeah. at the edges, and I think we're at the edge for a good reason. Mm, that makes total sense, Kathleen. It really does. Yeah, I can I can relate to it as well. Yeah. So, so when it comes to our Celtic heritage, when it comes to living in in the UK, in 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 Britain, um, in England, what is our what what are our shamanic roots here? What do you think is? I know the well, word shaman comes from elsewhere, think, but. You know, our our roots are where they are. I mean, we come from very various ancestry. And I'm not doing the, you know, pure-blooded Celt as one of my uh, American students once described herself. And I said, oh, you come from a long line of incest then. Um, <laughs> but it's like, we, we are a mixture of a lot of different things, yes. And um, uh, as ancestry keeps telling us when they update the algorithm, you know. Um, so I think that, our ancestry is people whose, some of whose ancestors come from these lands. Um, we have, we have that um, tradition of, we have the singing tradition, we have that musical tradition, which is one, which is one that I use all the time. And I'm singing all my journeys. I sing spontaneously for all my, all my clients. Um, and I sort of said, if you want to listen to this again, you're going to have to record it because these songs will not come again. Um, they'll only coming now for you now, um, yeah. and of course that that was a that was a thing, <clears throat> and and the songs come with words, which is also a thing here, and of course it does in a lot of the indigenous traditions that, you know, the anthropologists and the song collectors and people who go out to various parts of the world sort of think, oh yes, the the song was like the strong structure was like this and it had these words and it's like yeah, but it would be different tomorrow. Yes. Yeah, some songs we sing again, the ones that caught the calling songs and the ones when you're doing particular piece of work, but most yes. of the songs just come. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, that's that's quite a difficult thing to train people to come back to because people in this country do not like singing. Okay. <laughs> in that way, certainly in that way. Anyway, and certainly not in an exposed, I'm singing for someone else. Oh, my God. <laughs> yes. So. so... We are very, as, as somebody I, I was um, interviewing yesterday, um, the wonderful Chris Lutichow, I mean, he, he was talking about how in, in our culture, you know, we're so analytical. We are so, we want to understand things so much and we have lost that childlike quality of just, maybe just singing, you know, just letting songs come, making things up, making up games, making up the ways that we, the, 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 the way we play, um, being connected to nature, all these things to the animal kingdom, you know, and we, we're, we're trying to work things out all the time and, and think our way through stuff. 
I mean, that really takes us away from that shamanic just surrender to... You know, I mean, I always say, I mean, I had someone, I was doing supervision um, the other day with someone, um, uh, one of my students, and, and, you know, she was obviously having problems with, you know, the, the level of intimacy that you need to be at with your your allies and ancestors. Um, and and I just, you know, this isn't something that happens quickly. We've got so much conditioning, you know, to, to work through that, you know, things that you should and shouldn't do, which of course are always behind. We live in a society that does not rate or value anything that we do, yeah? Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> except in very small capacity when they need it. And, um, uh, and it's, it is difficult, but it's like, but friendship with allies, intimacy with allies is the same as intimacy with human being. It takes a while. And I know there are people who can go off on blind dates and jump into bed together. But generally speaking, a good friend is made by doing the same things over and over again in company over a long period of time so that you have a level of trust. Right. Uh, that level of trust doesn't arrive instantly. Um, and I think, you know, up to three or four years into the work, even when people are very faithful with their practice, um, they're still saying things like, oh, my God, you know, I'm not sure I really experienced that. Or did that thing really happen? Or, you know, and it's like, yeah, that's what you experienced. So, yes. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so I think these these things take a long time. and. You know, uh, someone else I had over a few years, someone who came from another country and stayed in Britain for a long time so that she could sort of do what she thought were all of my courses. And I said, well, you would need to come back for several years to do that because I don't do them all every year. But there is a sequence in, in what I teach. Yes. Yeah. And I said, well, how long will it be for me to be a shaman then? Two years, two and a half years? And I said, well, I said, maybe nine years. And her face fell. And it's like, you know, I mean, but it's like every any expert thing that anyone needs to do it's like how long is that training yes yeah there are very few expert things that people train to do that they can do in four or five years how long does it take to make a doctor and even then they can only do general practice they might not know every particular sort of little bit of the cell of the pancreas for example they might not particularly specialize in bones of the foot or conditions of the eye, someone else has to do that. So yeah. <clears throat> so I think that that's reasonable to me. And, and, you know, as the Buddhists say, there's the practice and there's the spaces between the practice. And the spaces between the practice are as important yeah. as the practice because the learning to live with this is the, the really important thing. And it's like, yeah. it doesn't matter if you don't know who your ancestors are. You don't need to identify them in an Ancestry.com kind of way because all that gives you is some names and dates. It does not give you the living being. Right, right. But if you work shamanically with ancestors, excuse me, and of course then you're also working shamanically with the ancestors of, you know, of clients that you're seeing Mm. Um, or indeed institutions that you work. I do a lot of work for institutions as well. And you still have to work with the ancestors of the institution, um, then um, you know that's not about knowing it on paper. That's about knowing it in person. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Okay. And, and those ancestors that look kindly on you, 
as well as those that are stuck in time and in a state. Yes. And yeah. are shrieking distress on all frequencies through the family. Right, right. Those are the ones that we really need help to get to. So you've done a lot of writings on, on Arthur and the Holy Grail um, and, um, yeah, and, and many mythological old yeah, texts. Myth is our sort of main, our yeah. main area in terms of writing and, yes. and also forms of divination because, of course, I, I've taught yeah. divination from nature for about 32 years now. Um, right. Which, again, is a, a mode of, uh, of divination um, which, of course, you can do wherever you are. Yes. You can be in a prison cell or in a forest, it doesn't matter. You can still do it. Um, but, you know, those those things are very interesting to me because how, you know, the roots of divination are, of course, the roots of shamanism as well because okay. uh, we're not just looking, we're not looking at the future in shamanism, we're looking at things timelessly. Yes. And it's that timelessness that we enter into mm -hmm is of course what every every person who spreads cards is doing they're they're, they're dealing with the, the pragmatic question that the client asks them but they're also going out of time to look at the perspective right. context of that situation yeah so yeah what what is the grail to you the grail is basically that bountiful love which is providence i would say um i you know it's not a an object it is a grace um and the grail story always has the same pattern you know there's a wonderful time of plenty and peace something happens to fracture that um, which can be um, a single act or a set of acts um, there is wasteland nobody knows what's going on some people say why are things like this they go on quest and they try and find out um they seek until they find that grace and they by their action enable that to flow back into the world again the water the waters fill up again the land can be fertile people start having children again old people and children stop dying um and there's a beautiful time of peace and then something comes to fracture the and yeah. so on. It's it's a it's a completely continuous story. Beautiful. Wow. Because we because we've come from a, uh, and I think that's one of the you know one of the great benefits of our own tradition here is that there is no sense of there's an end time. There is no end time. There is, there are there are no creation stories in Celtic mythology at all. Okay. There are lots of early stories yeah. about how certain things happened and why certain things happen. But there are no creation stories. The whole of creation is an ongoing continuous. Mm. Mm. And mm. you see this in things like, you know, the um, the stories of Tu and McCarroll and um, other people who, who live through time, um, but they live through time in the shape of different beings, of animals and so on. And, and they have a word for it, which, uh, which is a turgin, a turgin is, um, it can be translated as a circuit, but it's like a circuit of lives in the same way that a judge does the circuit of the country to, you know, sit in various places to give judgment. It's a, it's an ongoing, continuous task. You know, you finish painting the fourth bridge, 
and you start painting the fourth bridge at the other end again and so on and that's what human beings do we have ancestors keep a continuity uh, uh, of life um and while we may start something we won't see the end of it mm. um, and while we're ending something someone else is beginning something else and all mm. of us are doing this together and every spiritual tradition talks about this that there are as the jewish tradition says you know that there are you know there are a number of just people and um you know it comes from the story after the destruction of sodom and gomorrah you know the, this this story about you know please don't just lord don't destroy the world because you know there, there might be 10 just people in there you know um and i've told this story many times and someone always comes up and says so how many just people do you think there are at the moment and i always look them straight in the eye and say enough <laughs> we wouldn't be having this conversation right. <clears throat> so right. i think that, you know whoever whatever state of spiritual quest and engagement we're on um we're all part of that yes and of course we you and i and everyone listening also understands that we all know someone who really is one of the just in that sense of mm. <clears throat> a person of, of great spiritual depth who doesn't seem to do a lot and yet they are the absolute heart of their community not just their family everyone reveres them in a particular way because of the grace that comes through them um so i think you know the the blessing that's in us you know that vocational thing that we're we're bent to do the thing that that, that draws our heart um whatever that is when that is when that's in good sync with sort of larger spiritual contexts everyone feels it yes so so i mean this this podcast it's all about our sole purpose and yes. and bringing out i mean i i connect that very much to soul retrieval to our sacred contract mm. why we're here what what's brought us here who we are as children and that being a kind of foundation for Indeed. for our, our you know bringing ourselves into the world and and reclaiming that so retrieving that soul part um and and so what do you see as your soul purpose here is there a particular name you give it or body of work you give it um anything in particular that is important to you around soul purpose and my whole life is my soul purpose i mean that <clears throat> um i i'm very fortunate to have you know come through to a point where i i can work in the areas that I want to work and which I know I was put on earth to do and so yes I am a singer and yes I could have done I mean I was actually offered a, a place at opera school when I was about to go to drama school and I refused it and I still not to this day quite understand that I mean it was a time when opera didn't they didn't act very well we just stood on stage and sang um, but <clears throat> it's different now but even so I think that sense of I could be a performance singer, but I choose not to be because my voice is for my work. Yes. This is my work. My voice is for um, those who come in pain and in sorrow and who need healing. Yeah. My, my job is to sing their soul's landscape so that they can recognize it again because we all fall out of our story um, and we all need to be put back into our story just as a stone is put back into a ring and it's in its setting properly yes uh, and when we've fallen out of that it feels awful 
and when we're back into it, it feels just right. Yes. So I think that's that's really that's really what I'm here to do. Um, and I consider my writing as the tip of the iceberg. Most people don't see the work I do. Most only individuals see the work that I do. Yeah. Really. So so my audience has become very small in that in that sense, you know, as a as a performer. Um, but you know, my performance is now at the behest of spirits, you know. I can get out of the way so that they can come in and do the work. Yes. So they will use my voice. So I mean very weird things come out of my voice now, which is not my voice. Relate to that, yeah. So it, it's, you know, I think that's the thing. So that really is. Um, yes. I'm 71 mm -hmm. uh, now, and I've been seeing people um, in my practice for about 33 years now. Okay. Um, so, you know, my, my job is is to carry on doing that work and to train up people so that no one will ever be in the situation I was in when okay. I was getting, <laughs> when my shapers came to me and said, hello, would you like to do this? That's so beautiful. I no idea, you know, even with the performance training, you know, yeah. that no one, no one really prepares you for that. And mm -hmm. uh, it was a full blown absolute and I can still go there, but now it's no. Now I really train people so that they can approach that work and know how to come out of it, and and not be in pieces because it's mm. it's, it, it's big stuff. And of course, you know, we don't in our society we don't have those sort of big embodiment rituals um, publicly, except of course in our folk customs where we still have the padstohos and. Um, Things like the Berry Man at um, you know South Queens Ferry in Scotland, and all of these these beings that like the in the mazes in 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 Arizona, um, you know the Kachinas are embodied and they come down at the times of ploughing and sowing, and at harvest, and um, and nobody touches those people. They know exactly what to do, and I suppose every child living has the experience of going to see Father Christmas, which is, again, another form of embodiment if it's done well. And they all want to go to Father Christmas because they know they'll get a present. Yeah. But, but when they're in the presence of Father Christmas, it's a whole other story, isn't it? That the child in the presence of their God becomes almost insupportably distressed because it's too much for them. Wow. Um, that, that's what children are doing. They're in the presence of their divinities. <laughs> it's kind of, yes. But I mean, it happens very rarely in our society. That's so interesting. Yeah. Wow. I've never thought of it like that. Yeah. Fascinating. So in talking about today's society, we're going through big changes, hey? There's a lot happening in the world. There's a lot of distress, um, yeah. a lot of sickness, um, of mind, body, spirit. Yeah. What, 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 what would you say to people today to help them through some of the challenges we're going through? Ancestral ritual all the way up the wazoo, I'm afraid. Really, I mean, I think when when we welcome the ancestors into our lives um, as uh, you know, both our neighbourly, the neighbour I call the neighbourly dead, 
as well as you know the, the greater the greater dead um then i think you know we feel less abandoned because we are connected again to that and, and when we leave them out we become even more distressed and even more reactive and even more violent mm. uh, and we are then playing out the things of the stuck dead those that are stuck in time those of who have either perpetrated violence or are um the victims of violence um and, and other awful things and that's not a good way to be that really isn't a good way to be so we need a whole societal understanding um at a different level but i don't see how that can be at a larger level because uh, in terms of things like the media that is available to us that that is on every television screen you know is incredibly minute i mean how many times a week do you see hindus practicing online how you know you'll see some christians singing hymns on television you'll never see anyone doing anything else except to hoo -hoo, ha -ha, look at them doing things in funny costumes oh my god they're drumming you know um whatever so it that really annoys me because as a performer i know that you know if we as a writer i know we could write the script for that we could we could put something on um that would be really interesting and available and great for people and um, we don't just want these things on youtube we want them mainstream yeah. and i think the, these are the the important things and i've worked many years with people like pagan federation i'm part of the pagan symposium which uh, at the moment has been trying to get um uh, marriage um the marriage act sorted out because we're still laboring under the old marriage act which um, means everything is predicated on a place of worship so the only person who's really been able to sort of or the only place that's been able to benefit from this are things like the uh, the goddess center in um, glastonbury because they can prove they've been a place of worship continuously for a number of years but for most of us, most of our ceremonies are outside in the domestic home, um, in in hired halls and so on. So a lot of things have to change and they won't all change in my lifetime. But I'm glad I've been part of the, the push to get things out there. The yeah. Home Office now appoint pagan chaplains to prisons. And mm -hmm. if the law changes, we're also looking that, um, you know, that celebrants for, for pagan marriage um, can be just as legal as everyone yeah. else because we don't have an act of parliament governing us and in this country um, an act of parliament is absolutely essential to make law yeah yeah so there are lots of things that we can do and will do but they're taking a long time yes of course yes, of and they do services out there yeah yeah absolutely so um, if somebody listening to you now, if they thought, oh, I, I really want to reconnect to my ancestors, I want to take on this work quite seriously, I, I need to do a level of this and, and reclaim some of that for myself, how would they begin? What would you suggest? I to think them? the very first thing we have to say is that we have to get past the fear of the ancestors. Okay. Um, when something isn't with you um, and part of you every day, it's strange and unwieldy. And many people as I'm sure you know, um, have moved to New Zealand in order to escape their family. Yes, I'm sure you have heard that phrase many times. And it's yeah. like, 
Well, no, you could indeed go to the ends of the earth and you will not escape your family because your ancestry is still with you. It doesn't go away. Mm. Um, so I think that you know, defusing the fear is the most important thing because everyone living just about, you know, in, in Western and modernized culture conceives of their ancestors being the people that just came before us. So meaning your parents, your grandparents, your nasty uncle, you know, the um, that really horrible friend of your mother's who, um, you know, felt you up when you were young and all of those nasty things. And it's like, no, the ancestors are a much wider thing. Yeah. Or as I once said at, a, at a, a, an interfaith conference, I said, who or what are the ancestors? There was resounding silence. And then an Anishinaabeg Indian who was in the room, uh, he's died now, Jimmy Littlefish, put up his hand and he said, it is everything between heaven and earth. Wow. Which, of course, is the right answer. <laughs> right, right. So I have, you know, on my dressing tables, you know, I have lots of pictures of my ancestors going back quite a few yeah. years. We have a book with lots of pictures of, it goes back to, well, way, way back, 1600s. I'm very fortunate to have that on my father's side of the family. I have my parents' ashes on my table. You know, I, I sort of collect things of theirs and I... I, I'm surrounded with that. Is that enough, or what? What, what would you say? Well, I think there's memorialization, which is one thing. But I think you know the living, the living everyday presence of the ancestors. Mm -hmm. and, you know, um, we live in a culture that that can you can talk about your dreams just about, and if you're lucky at work, you could probably get away with saying that you were you'd written a poem. Mm -hmm. um, I think too badly of you, but but absolutely nobody says. As I was doing the washing up and talking to my my grand my dead grandmother the other night dot 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 right there's that but yeah. of course that happens a lot right right that, that yeah. kind of conversation lovely this yeah. needs to carry on you know and it, it needs to go back further because there 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 are definitely lean times you know for some cultures I mean we've been through a time of history where a lot of men died in two world wars yes yeah. i mean four people in the west yes. uh, of europe um and that left a great big gaping hole and we're still we still have the hole of that yeah. <laughs> that that hole is still gone it still gapes quite a lot for people of our generation um but you know th there's so much further back so there would be bits that we can't contact because of disruptions of war and so forth but you always go back before the time when there was a problem so if you come from like five generations of very miserable people go back before that find the people you know find the ancestors who were back before that and say you know we're really having trouble in the family now we can see that the children are very unhappy uh, people are getting depressed some people are committing suicide you know, please show us some other good ways to our, for our family to go. Nice, nice. Those, those patterns repeat, and we don't want them repeat. We do not want the burden of things that are stuck falling on our children or our right. grandchildren. And that's usually extraordinarily when, you know, I see a lot of people that they can put up with it for themselves. But as soon as their children begin to demonstrate behavior or they say things or do things um, that, demonstrate that they also are coming under this pattern they're through the door like grease lightning right right because they don't want it for their children yeah. and i think 
this this is where we have to come is into a society that doesn't just think backwards but thinks forwards as many generations as we can because we can't go on making decisions without doing that yeah longer term decisions good long-term decisions rather than the oh we don't have any houses right now so what should we do you know um we need to have a, a much more connected to the ancestors policy I like the idea of going back to the ancestors that were healthier and that, you know, pre those problems that we might have started to generate. People do go through very difficult times. You can see, you know, a family has had this one particular job, maybe they farmed in this valley for a long time and then agricultural, you know, upset Mm -hmm. at the end of the the, uh, 18th century, you know, displaced a lot of people, displaced my father's ancestors who all moved to the coast and started to work for in and around the Navy because it was the time of the Napoleonic Wars. But, um, you know, so they lost their connection to the land. They, they became city people, like a lot of people at that time. And so, you know, before that, there's a lot of wisdom. Yes. I mean, you know, my father's family go back to about 1504, as far as we can trace. And uh, they, they, they're born, marry, die, born, marry, die, you know, in the same village over and over and over so people didn't move around a great deal a lot of them right right no of course the wisdom of being in the land and on the land and having continuous a continuous tradition because i don't see um christian tradition is uncontinuous to our older ancestry i consider everything between us and our ancestors to be a viable prospect if it works for people yes I'm completely open to that. Anything that's closed, um, restrictive, then I'll be again it. You know. Right. But if, if it's if it's helped people and kept them from going, who am I? Of course. So so what's your next um what what's the next thing, your next project? Then, oh, then I don't know. Well I mean it's continuously going on training students and I'm very happy to say that you know, we, we're now having teachers coming through who are going to be able to sort of take the load off our shoulders as we get older and to continue, which is wonderful. Um, so we have a new foundation course starting up in Ireland next year, which I'm very pleased about. And we're probably going to have a second foundation course happening here at a different time of year from the one that John does so that it will all feed through. Um, and we'll be continuing to do progressive training course, which, you know, does the nuts and bolts because an awful lot of things out there as you know are not very shamanic in the nuts and bolts department they're they're kind of shamanic on paper yeah get it (laughs) yeah we do nuts and bolts (laughs) we've had a lot of discussions about that on this podcast yes absolutely i had a woman come a few years ago and i always give very sort of quite extensive handouts to people um, because often, you know, the talk goes in different directions and we don't always get to every particular, but at least if it's, you know, if it's there, they have it. And she sat there and the face just began to go black with, with anger. And I said, are you all right? And she said, I'm really angry. I did a two and a half year shamanic course for someone and I thought it was shamanism and it very evidently wasn't from the look of this. There you go. It has to You don't want to hear Do your research, eh? <laughs> yeah, that's right. I know. Look look around first and check. But it was a very nice women's group that did a lot of rituals, and I'm sure it was lovely, but it, it, it was not shamanism as we know it, Jim. But, uh, right so now, onwards, uh, I mean, yeah. you know, the books roll on. Um, the next thing will be 
we're still trying to get a few reprints out of books that, that we did earlier that have, publishers have died or gone away, you know. Yes, yes. So that, that work continues and other books that we've written, we're going to have to proofread and, um, you know, do all those things. Again. All the work, all it's the work. It's the fourth bridge, isn't it? It just goes, it goes on. Of course um, it does. Well, it's, it's there really are lots of things I'd like to do and um, maybe yeah. the time for me writing about the ancestors is, I don't know whether we'll we'll get to that now. Nobody seems to want a book on the ancestors from me, although it's all I do. But <laughs> well, well, you're a mind of inf information. It's fantastic to hear what you have to share with us, Kathleen. Um, I've really enjoyed this because uh, you know there are things that I really resonate with and things I didn't know. And um, yeah, I I I think this will uh, this will really inspire some of our listeners into. Your work, is there anything you have to offer them at this time that they can... I just think, you know, that wherever we are and whatever circumstances we are, you know, your your spirits are near you um, and all you have to do is turn to them um, and ask for the help that you need. Yeah. Beautiful. It can develop into a whole other thing later on, but we always start at that point of need. And yeah. I love it when students get to that point when they say, well, I've been journeying on this and that and all these things that I have difficulties with, but I don't know what to do now. And I thought, great, now we can put you to work. Yeah, I get that one. <laughs> yeah, I understand that. Yeah. And, and, and that's the turnaround. It's, we, come, we come in need and we learn from our need and then, then we begin to be of service. And it's that asking for help, isn't it? Can I be humble enough to ask my spirit? Human beings are not very good at it. We're not good at asking for help. Oh, particularly in our culture, we're not good at asking for help. And I, I think that is, that is, it's just knowing where to ask for help sometimes, but we're not great at it. No. And, and some of that is because we don't have a develop, developed spirituality and no one's ever fostered it. Um, and what, what dregs of, you know, religious um, inculcation we have had has not necessarily been of the nuts and bolts variety anyway, in terms of a prayer life, because, you know, I want people to come to me um, so that I can teach them nuts and bolts, but I cannot give them their spiritual tradition. They have to come with that. The wheel has to be turning. Sure. Or they have to be at least with their shoulder to it anyway. <laughs> yeah, yes, absolutely. But but we did have it once upon a time, hey? And we can, we can recover it very easily by just yeah. being in touch with what is, you know, all that is can teach us. Yes. And all that is, um, you know, can, can come into our lives, but we have to invite it and be prepared for the changes that that will make, because this isn't a sitting on your backside job, is it? <laughs> not, no, absolutely it not. Is not. <laughs> Oh, wonderful. Kathleen, thank okay. you so much. For this well. Thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure to listen to you and to, to hear your, your story, uh, fascinating journey you've had. So thank you very, very much and um, wish you well and all your projects much, yeah, much fulfillment. Thank you so much for listening right to the end. I hope you enjoyed that podcast. And remember, you can be in touch with myself or this speaker my website is middleearthmedicine.com. We have a wonderful membership platform that you can join for just £5 a month. And we have lots of recordings and interesting information that we can share with you there, plus meeting online with regular groups. You can also find the details of our speaker in the box below with their links, their websites, and a little bit of information about them. Thank you for joining me. 
and being part of this Middle Earth Medicine community. I hope you'll listen to our next show. Please follow, share, like, whatever you can do to help this community to grow. We really appreciate you. Thank you.